Our second scripture reading today comes to us um, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's a story we usually associate with Christmas or Epiphany, but listen for God's word to you today. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born the king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to be the shepherd to my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time that the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Well, good morning again. It's good to be with you all here today and to see those of you who are here in person, hearty souls, those who are at home uh, making choices, good choices to stay safe or maybe traveling somewhere. Hi to you who are on Facebook Live. Uh, Leave us a comment or something like that. Uh, And those on YouTube, you are on mute. Um, I think that's how it works. I don't really know. We are in this um, unique sermon series this month in January uh, that somebody recently uh, referred to as the Holy Something series. Holy something. We had um, holy dissatisfaction, and then last week we talked about holy gossip, and this week our topic is about holy disobedience. Holy disobedience. And um, some, a couple folks in the church heard that this was going to be the topic for the Sunday sermon, and they got worried that they were going to be a sermon illustration. Um, I won't. Does that show up on video? I don't. I won't point anybody out. Um, Today, I want to introduce to you this idea, this topic of holy disobedience, which is especially appropriate for us to think about on a Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. MLK is a kind of modern-day saint in our country um, because he was, partially because he was willing to disobey the laws that he felt were unjust or unfair or not right. Once in his letter uh, from the Birmingham jail, Dr. King wrote this. He said, One has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. It's a big idea. He's putting it before us, this notion that in general, we are meant to follow the laws of the land, to listen to the rules of the road, just so long as they are fair and correct. But he is also suggesting that there are instances where we have what he calls a moral responsibility to disobey. 
This is what um, Henry David Thoreau would call civil disobedience. You might remember that in the early 19th century in Concord, Massachusetts, that Thoreau refused to pay taxes that were being used to suppress Native Americans and to wage war against Mexico, two things that he was staunchly against on moral grounds. So he was put in jail for this offense. And he urged, uh, and he argued rather, that it was his duty, his moral obligation to disobey laws or rules that he felt were fundamentally unjust or immoral. And this same idea seems to be the gist of the two stories that we have from the scriptures today as well. The first one is from Exodus. And we remember how the Hebrew people had gone down into Egypt and fallen into slavery under the, under the, um, the command of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They were these ethnically different people, foreigners in a strange land, and they were being oppressed. Even so, they kept multiplying and growing and having babies and becoming a larger part of the population. And this made the Egyptians particularly worried. So Pharaoh made a decision, and he told the midwives, those women who helped uh, women in, um, in childbirth, that when Hebrew babies were born, Jewish babies, Hebrew babies, that if they were boys, they would be killed and thrown into the Nile River. But if they were girls, they would be allowed to live, presumably to remain as house servants and slaves. And there were two midwives in this story that we heard from Exodus. Their names were Shipra and Pua, and it says that they disobeyed this rule. They disobeyed this law. They disobeyed this direct order from their king. In fact, they put themselves in danger by doing this, and they were questioned by the authorities, and they had to find a way to explain what they had done. This is holy disobedience. We hear a similar story in the New Testament as well. It's about the birth of Jesus and the way those wise men, the Magi, came from the east following a star all the way into um, Israel, and they went to Jerusalem looking for the newborn king. When they arrive, they go and visit with Herod, and they ask him, do you know where this newborn king would be? And Herod doesn't know, but he wants to know. He says, yes, go and search diligently so that when you find this child, I too may come and worship him. But we know from Herod's actions and words that his plan is to destroy the child, to kill the child. The Magi go and they find Jesus and Mary and Joseph, but instead of telling Herod where he is, they are warned in a dream and they go home by a different route. They disobey a direct order from King Herod. Herod finds out that he's been tricked, and he goes on a murderous killing spree. We remember this story. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. All those two-year-old baby boys in Israel, in that part of Israel at the time, are, are killed at the command of the king, seeking after Jesus and his family. But we know by then they've escaped into Egypt. They go and live as refugees out of their own land. And by the Magi, this too is holy disobedience. Now, as we talk about this topic today, I want to be really clear about something. There are a lot of Bible passages and a lot of teachings in our faith tradition that have to do with obedience in a good sense, obeying, listening to, following, especially the law of the Lord or the word of the Lord or God's teaching for us. We're not, to, not meant to be a stiff-necked and disobedient people, not all the time at least. Sometimes we need to be obedient even when we don't totally understand why, and this is especially true when we're in a community, a faith community, a place where all of us give up something so that the common good can be held, so that there can be more for all. 
That's what it's like to be part of a church. We, none, no one of us get all of our own way. We have to be obedient in a certain sense in order to, to be together as a church community. Sometimes obedience is good. But then we read uh, these passages from Scripture which complicate the matter for us. We have Ephesians chapter 6 that says, Children, obey your parents as in the Lord. It is only right. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. And Colossians chapter 3, I will read it, says this, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. So even as we read these selected Bible passages, we can imagine and think of reasons and times and ways in which children or citizens or certainly slaves ought to disobey those who are put over them. We are human and we know about um, abusive parents or about uh, untrustworthy leaders or about systems of oppression. So my question for us today is, is this, how do we discern and decide? How do we figure out when our disobedience would be holy? When do we need to obey and that is the right thing to do? And when is it the right thing to do to disobey in a holy way? What does it take to reach that level, to, diso- to um, distinguish between holy disobedience, what we're talking about, and just doing whatever the heck we want, which is another kind of disobedience? Um, so to help us think about this, I want to offer you three principles, three ideas, three markers along the way that we can apply when we're thinking about this idea. My kids, um, and so I guess the first one I would say is, um, the first one is that this something that you're going to be disobedient about is important. First of all, it has to be something important. It has to matter. It can't just be any old thing. My kids, um, they used to play a game where they would say no to everything. Do you know this game? Do you want to have dinner? No. you want to get your pajamas on? No. Um, are you ready for bed? No. Um, this is not called dis- holy disobedience. This is called being annoying. And so the first thing just to think about with this idea of holy dis- dis- uh, disobedience is it's not just about being annoying, being standoffish, being against everything else. It is, that is not the point of what we're talking about today. To, be, to truly be holy disobedience is that it has to do with something that's important something that touches you um, in your deepest core, a core commitment that you have, a faith commitment, a sense of right or wrong, a sense of what God is saying to you or to us. So I don't want to take this lightly, like just saying no to things. It has to do with um, a deeper level than that. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, that's not the hill that I want to die on. Have you heard that? It's not the hill I want to die on. It means this isn't the place or the issue or the item on which to make your last stand, to stake your reputation, to do whatever it takes. If it's something that's a low-level issue, don't die on that hill. That's not holy disobedience. So in your work or at home, with your spouse or your friends, don't make everything a place of holy disobedience. It won't work out well for you. Don't always zig where everyone else zags. Sometimes there's a good reason to get along. For the midwives in the Exodus story, and here's the example from the Bible, it was a matter of life and death. That's the level we're talking about. It was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of justice and injustice. For the magi in the story from the Gospels, it was the same. They would not participate in Herod's scheme. They would not be triangulated into something like that. 
For Martin Luther King Jr. in our own country's history, he led a movement where certain laws were challenged, like sit-ins at lunch counters, or like Rosa Parks keeping her seat on a public bus, or holding marches and rallies when they had been told to sit down and be quiet. Something mattered deeply in these cases, and so the disobedience was worthy, it was worth taking on. It was made holy. I wonder if you remember the movie, the James Dean movie called Rebel Without a Cause. Remember that movie? You've heard of it before? It's about a group of kind of emotionally confused teenagers who are trying to figure out their lives. Um, They had a lot of questions and angst and anger, um, and they didn't know what it was all about. They were rebels, but without a cause or a reason. They were kind of looking for something to fight against. Also reminds me of the Tom Petty song where he says, a rebel without a clue. Remember that one? Um, Holy disobedience in the sense that we're talking about today is not uh, the same as just being against the way things, the way they are. That's that's sort of the rebel without a cause. We don't know what we're against, but we're against something. It's not searching for a landing spot for our anger or disappointment, our shame or our worry. It has to do with something that matters deeply to us and is at the heart of God. That's what is worth being wholly disobedient about. So that's the first level. It's something that matters, something that's important. Second, holy disobedience is done for the sake of the vulnerable. Holy disobedience is always done for the sake of the vulnerable, the helpless, those who are in a lower or marginalized position or situation. That's the witness of the Old Testament biblical prophets. They mainly focus all of their might, all of their strength, all of their words on the plight of the poor, the widow, and orphans. They're willing to go toe-to-toe with kings, with religious leaders, with the whole society if necessary in order to help the vulnerable among them. That's what the midwives do in Exodus. That's what the magi do with Jesus. And that's what real um, holy dissatisfaction, or rather disobedience, is about. It's not about protecting our own rights or our own position. It's not about getting our own way or our own preferences. It's not about just maintaining the status quo. If you're wondering what, holy, what disobedience that is really holy, holy disobedience looks like, you can simply ask the question of who is it for? Who is it for? Who is it helping? You know, that's why, uh, although the Bible says, children, obey your parents, we know that in some cases we need to protect children from an abusive situation at home. We know that even the Bible, though the Bible says, citizens, obey your leaders, we know that human political leaders are imperfect and fallible. Even though the Bible says, slaves, obey your masters, we know that it was holy disobedience that led the abolitionist movement towards success. All of these examples highlight the way that it is always holy to help the vulnerable. It's always holy to help the vulnerable. I want to say one more thing. Here's these three levels. First, it's something that's important enough. Holy disobedience is about things that matter, not just stuff we want. Second, it's where we ask, um, is this done for the sake of the vulnerable rather than being self-seeking or self-focused? Third, we have to know that there are risks and consequences involved. There are risks and consequences involved in holy disobedience. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this. He said, an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust 
and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. You break the law, and there's a consequence, and that's part of the deal. Mahatma Gandhi, who was one of the inspirations for Dr. King's nonviolent approach uh, to making change, he said something very similar. This is what Gandhi said. He said, an unjust law is itself a species of violence. Arrest for its breach is more so. Now, the law of nonviolence says that violence should be resisted, not by counterviolence, but by nonviolence. Stay with me. Here it is. This I do by breaking the law and by peacefully submitting to arrest and imprisonment. There can be a cost to holy disobedience. For Shipra and Pua, imagine what it was like when they were called before Pharaoh, where they had to tell what they were doing. The law was clear. The direction was clear. They simply did not carry out the king's command. It was done out of a sense, a deep sense of right and wrong. And through through their own quick thinking, they were able to tell the Pharaoh a story about why it was that they couldn't get any of the Hebrew baby boys, uh, because those women were so vigorous at giving birth before they got there. They, made, they, they avoided a major penalty. For the Magi, it was similar. They did not return to Herod. They went home by a different route, uh, route and road, even though they were specifically directed to come back to Herod. They refused to help him hurt a vulnerable family. So in these two stories, the people avoid punishment. They have risks, but they avoid punishment. But we can see that's not always the case. Gandhi went to jail. Martin Luther King Jr. went to jail. Henry David Thoreau went to jail. Rosa Parks went to jail. These people and their stories are known to us, not just because they went to jail, not just because they broke the law, but because they did so out of a deep sense of right and wrong. Their actions were based on what they believed God required of them. We know their stories because they did things to defend the defenseless, to help the helpless and support the vulnerable. People who go to jail for embezzling money from their company and buying a yacht with it, we don't, they're not our heroes, right? We don't remember their stories and say, wow, go for it, guy. But these people who did it for the sake of the vulnerable in their midst, we know. We celebrate. We tell their stories. So there could be a cost to doing what is right. It could be the cost of speaking up in a social setting where things get off the rails. It could be the cost of getting involved in a local issue in the community and bringing your unique and faithful voice to the matter. It could be the cost of showing up to listen to a speech or joining a protest or signing a petition. It could be the cost of letting, know, letting others know where you stand on an important issue of the day. So don't waste your opportunity for holy disobedience. Do it on things that matter. Do it to protect the vulnerable. Do it knowing there are risks. But may God grant all of us wisdom and discernment today and into these days ahead. As we lift up the witness of people in the Bible times, in our own nation's history, and even today, who show us what holy disobedience is all about. May it be so for you. Amen.